Electric Friends, a Gary Newman podcast celebrating the tracks by a musical pioneer. In August 1980, Gary Newman was arguably the biggest newish pop star in Britain. Just a year earlier, he had released his second number one single, Cars, and everything he touched seemed to turn gold. However, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Most journalists and rock stars alike didn't warm to this robotic, moody newcomer. In a post-punk era where disco was still ruling the charts and new wave was breaking through, and in a pre-PR world with little to no guidance for someone like Gary who had an undiagnosed Asperger's condition, he was already on the chopping block despite having a clearly massive fan base. Perhaps stars like David Bowie and Brian Eno just didn't get him. It's sad in a way that 12 months later Gary felt it necessary to not only feel like he had to stop performing live, but he had to already start writing music about the press's treatment of him. But thankfully that also meant the creation of some of his greatest ever songs. This episode of Electric Friends will look at one such release and one of his biggest hits, 1980's I Die You Die. August 30th, 1980, I Die You Die is perhaps one of Gary's most poppy songs, yet retaining the electronica rock style of his previous releases. Both this and We Are Glass prove that it wasn't a one-year wonder. The song is rocky, catchy, funky, and still a crowd pleaser all these years later. Utilising the style of synth structures that worked so well for him on songs like Tracks and Cars before it, I Die You Die is a brilliant song that sums up the emergence of the 1980s and all the musical styles that came with it. It should be considered a classic new wave track outside of Newman fandom, but perhaps thanks to the vitriol he received from the press at the time, they stopped it having the legacy it deserved, just like We Are Glass. The song's lyrics see Gary sing about his poor treatment by the press and peers, with the excellent opening line, This is not love, this is not even worth a point of view. The chorus makes it clear how he feels about his negative treatment, saying, they crawl out of their holes for me, and I die, you die. Hear them laugh, watch them turn on me, and I die, you die. See my scars, they call me such things. Tear me, tear me, tear me. One quirky thing about this song is the spoken line, and I'm still frightened by the telephone, which you can barely hear in the album version, but it's more clear in the version heard in the song's music video. 
Barry wrote about the song's meaning and inspiration in his first autobiography, Praying to the Aliens, in 1997. He wrote, I Die You Die, which came out on the 30th of August, was a straightforward statement to the British press. The press had come at me so hard, so aggressively, and without a single pause for breath, that I felt very hostile towards them. I didn't think, still don't, that I deserved a fraction of the scorn, ridicule and abuse they fired at me. Our friends Electric sold a million copies in the UK alone, so what could I have done that was so terrible? How could the song be as horribly offensive as they claimed? It seemed to me, and this was the reason for writing I Die You Die, they needed new stars as much as we needed them. We were the bread to their butter, but people as big as me sold papers, sold magazines. Every time they had a go at me, they lost sales to people who liked me, and there were a lot of people who liked me. I thought that such severe hostility towards performers in general made the business bloody depressing. Everything you read about virtually everybody was bitching and sarcastic. I got it the worst, but it was pretty much the same story across the board. He then elaborated more in his more recent book, Revolution, saying, The next single, I Die You Die, also not included on the album, was released on 30th of August, and Telecom came out a few days later on the 5th of September. It was my fourth album in less than two years, and I'd played 53 concerts around the world in just eight months. Telecom was different to anything I'd done before. Whereas before I sung about machines and my thoughts about the future, I now wrote about the overwhelming assault of pressure and emotions that came with success. Songs like We Are Glass and Remind Me To Smile were about fans and the strange and sometimes difficult relationship with them that now seem to be a part of life. Sleep By Windows was another. In I Die You Die, I wrote about my deeply problematic relationship with the UK music press. It so often sounds ridiculous to say anything negative about something that you'd wanted all your life, something that so many people dream of for themselves. It seems ungrateful and petty, whinging at its worst by a pampered child. I totally understand that. But all that dreaming and desire is done largely in ignorance. In truth, you have no idea what's involved, what your life would be like. Becoming famous was absolutely nothing like I expected. And Telecon is an uncomfortable journey through that shock realization. I was still young and inexperienced childish almost. I can say, without question, the Asperger's part of me has never been so raw and challenged as it was then. I felt everything slipping away. Control, sanity, the ability to live the life I wanted. Of the life I'd actually dreamed of, this certainly wasn't it. I wanted to write better songs. I wanted to learn studio craft to be better at what I did. Although the constant criticism of vitriol from press and strangers alike didn't bother me too much on the surface, it niggled away underneath. It chipped inexorably away at my confidence until there was little left. I became increasingly embarrassed by what I saw as my lack of ability. More than that, I wanted to have real friendships, to not be followed, to not be pushed about at a petrol station by idiots to not have my car scratched or the tires let down every time I parked it, to not be threatened. I wanted to be able to have a girlfriend who didn't sell her story to the papers. I just wanted to run away. In fact, it began to feel like I had to. If I was going to survive the madness, I had to get away from it. You can also hear him talk about how he felt about everything in 1980 itself in this interview with Radio 1's Peter Powell. 
After playing I Die, You Die, Gary speaks about the press. Um, it's pure hard work that sort of cracks it in America. Do, do you see uh, the, your music being accepted there for longer, perhaps, than you do in this country? Now that you've cracked it? I don't know. I think this next tour will decide really what's going to happen in America. Well, the next tour would be like the consolidating one. And we'll see whether we're going to last or not, depending on the reaction we get to that one. It may, it may be a one-off single thing. We've only had one, one single there at the moment that's worked. But it seems to have made enough impact. Certainly the press have been perhaps kinder to you over there than they have in this country. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's not hard to do, is it? <laughs> do, you, do you actually re I mean, regret the fact that the press in this country haven't backed you like you'd have hoped? I, I regret it from an ego point of view, but it hasn't actually affected the sales of what I'm writing. Or, or the attitude of the fans. Uh, it hasn't had that much impact on anyone. The original vinyl single was released in a variety of different colours. It entered the UK singles chart at number 8 and peaked at number 6 the following week. Down to number 9, that's Gap Band, Oops, Upside Your Head. Stand by, we're literally seconds away from this week's highest new entry. And Gary Newman, I Die, You Die, goes straight in at... Number 8. The single was helped by one of Gary's best ever music videos. 1980 was still the early years when it came to music videos, but it's great seeing Gary in his telecon era outfits, looking as cool as possible while driving around. It somehow still looks futuristic today, so I can't imagine how it must have felt seeing this back then on Top of the Pops. Now, the version I'm used to hearing is the version you can hear behind me now. Apparently this is an alternate mix used for the music video and limited edition singles. I have found another version of the song that I hadn't heard before. I might be wrong, but I'm assuming this may have been the original version, but please correct me on socials if not. This version sounds almost like a demo with no hand claps, no telephone line, and uh, doesn't quite have the polish of the other version, but it's still really great. I Die You Die wasn't actually originally on the Telecon album. The album was released a week or so after I Die You Die. As Gary explained in his book, this was because he wanted to treat the fans to more content, but it may have backfired as non-hardcore fans understandably would have expected these two top 10 hits to be on the album. He wrote, I didn't include either We Are Glass or I Die You Die on the vinyl version of the album. I had a surplus of new songs and I wanted to give the fans the best possible value for their money. It probably wasn't the smartest thing to do as it made the album less attractive to people who weren't part of my hardcore fanbase and bought everything, people who hadn't bought the singles but went straight for the album expecting them to be on it. However, I didn't give it that much thought at the time. Within a couple of weeks, Telecon was certified gold in the UK with sales of 150,000. 
This was outwardly very impressive, but in fact the album only sold at best about half as many as either of the previous two. The song's personnel was Gary on vocals, Mini Moog, Poly Moog, JP4, CompuRhythm and guitar, Paul Gardner on bass, Sedge Sarpley on drums, John Webb on hand claps, Russell Bell on backing vocals, and Dennis Haynes on piano, CP3O, Mini Moog, Poly Moog, backing vocals and whistle. Recorded at Rock City and Matrix, it was engineered by Nick Smith, Steve Smith, Graham Meyer and Jess Sutcliffe. And the song also had a curious and disappointing if true story involving Kenny Everett and David Bowie. He wrote, my final TV appearance of 1980 was to film my slot for the very popular Kenny Everett Christmas show, where I'd be performing I Die, You Die. It was a great slot to get and would be seen by a massive audience. It really was a major opportunity. The show's director was a man called David Mallet, who also directed many of David Bowie's promo videos at that time. After recording my bit for the Kenny Everett show, David Mallett told me that Bowie would be there next Thursday to film his part for the show and that I could come down and watch. I couldn't believe my luck. I would be in the same room as Bowie, watching him close up. I never thought something that cool would happen to me, but come the Thursday, I turned up at the TV studios with Russell Bell as my guest. It was a small side room off the main studio, and I stood at the back, behind a fair number of people, including Bob Geldof, Paulie Yates, and others. I couldn't see well, but for the next few minutes, I did catch a few glimpses of Bowie over Bob Geldof's shoulder. Pretty soon, everything stopped, and it was clear there was a problem. I had no idea the problem was me. David Mallett took me to one side and said that Bowie had seen me and didn't want me there and I had to leave. So, with that, Russell and I found ourselves ejected from the TV building, looking for a taxi to take us home. I was so, so disappointed. He was a man that I'd idolised for years, bought every album, been to see in concert, bought every book about him, read every article, posters on my bedroom wall. It seemed a petty, totally unnecessary and humiliating thing to do. He was a world-class living legend, and I was a new upstart at best, and yet he felt the need to embarrass me and have me removed. My respect vanished in that moment, but my understanding grew, so I genuinely didn't feel bitter or angry. I actually felt a little sad, because he was just like the rest of us after all, unsure, insecure, nervous, human. It was the last thing I'd expected. A few days later, I found out I'd been kicked off the TV show as well. And that did make me a little angry. And so from what I can see online, Gary's episode of The Kenny Everett Show, where I Die, You Die was featured, was aired in February 1980. So if he was originally taping it for the Christmas edition that year, they were really ahead of schedule. Uh, But yeah, it's disappointing if uh, David Bowie genuinely did that to Gary and felt so negatively about him back then. Uh, The Kenny Everett performance in general is pretty cool in itself, as the version sounds slightly different with Gary performing live. Yes, he probably is. But for little old ladies and persons of a nervous disposition, let me tell you that this bit only lasts for two minutes. This is not love. This is not even worth a point. 
Speaking of live performances, it remains one of his most popular songs and is his eighth most performed track of all time. It's very rare that he doesn't whip this one out. single's b-side was Dennis Haynes's gorgeous piano version of Down in the Park which I've previously mentioned in that song's episode. I Die You Die was later covered by the Magnetic Fields on Gary's random tribute album in 1997. about I Die You Die and it's clear to see that it's one of those Newman tracks where it's pretty much unanimously one of his most popular songs ever. Stephen Forrest Welling said, simply his best song, a vitriolic burst of anger directed at a poisonous music press, coupled with an inventive, multi-layered and hugely underrated three-minute classic pop song, incredible. John Marsden said, okay, so this is my one. <laughs> my first Newman single, became obsessed with him from that moment, I remember it so well. I already knew a little bit about him from our friends Electric and Cars in junior school, but this was first year seniors. I saw my mate in the schoolyard with the Telecon album and overheard him talking about the Teletour. So armed with my pocket money, I go to a local record shop to buy something. Guy offered me the new Gary Newman single or the new Jam single, I think it was Start. Shows me the cover and I'm sold. Played it constantly and then that Christmas got the first four albums. Still love it to this day, great looking video and fantastic album. Incidentally, my Telecorn album was a Canadian copy that had I Die You Die on it instead of Sleep By Windows. 
Loving the podcasts. Well, thank you very much, John. Adam Fibble said, I first heard it on the radio when it came out, but I was too young to have records or a record player at the time. However, my uncle got a various artist comp- compilation album called Radioactive for his birthday, and I Die, You Die was the second song on the B-side. I think I drove everyone in the house mad playing that one song to death, followed by the sound of my clumsy needle drop as I played it all over again. Probably best I wasn't allowed a record player at the time. Fast forward to 1990 and I have my own money in record player. I wander into a rare record shop and see I Die You Die among the singles, along with most of Gary's other hit singles at the time. Needless to say, I bought the lot and subjected my family to repeated playing of the track all over again. Frederick Kilberg said it's one of his best songs, the paranoia, the aggression, and then the final line making him vulnerable again, but I'm still frightened by the telephone. I kept repeating that line to myself and I was studying to become a journalist, always forced to make awkward calls to strangers and asking about stuff they didn't want to talk about. Eventually I found work in editing and layout and could avoid the telephone. Uh, Nat Lockwood said, I've collected many different releases of I Die You Die, coloured ones and from many countries. I have more of those than any other Newman single. I think I have 15 plus and counting. I love the line, I'm still frightened by the telephone. Not too keen on talking on the phone myself. Same here, actually. Uh, Adrian Tudor said, I Die You Die was an exciting purchase and listen. Within a few months, we went from the ballad complex to the sort of anthem We Are Glass and then to a much better anthem. It just sounds polished and both complex and simple. A terrific song that I played over and over again. Uh, Peter Siddiqui said, I think the version he performed on the Kenny Everett show is and always will be his finest studio performance. I remember being blown away and I still watch it regularly. And Newman delivering his comeback to the journalist that made his life so miserable was very satisfying. Mark Harrison said, Always thought Coldplay nicked the opening riff of their track uh, Clocks, a firm favourite of mine from day one. Well, shall we have a little listen now? Yeah, I think you might have a point there. Um, Steve Hallett said, I Die, You Die is my all-time favourite Newman track. The video is a masterpiece and it really shows his fears, an all-time classic. Uh, John Garland said, I remember listening to the top 10 on a Sunday afternoon on Radio 1 back in the day when I Die, You Die entered the chart at number 8. It was rare for records to do that then. Not only that, the top 10 that week had some truly great singles such as Jam Start, Bowie's Ashes to Ashes, yet I Die, You Die more than held its own in such exalted company. What a song. Gary in his absolute pomp with everything right, image, music, lyrics, even the picture sleeve was ace, a masterpiece. And finally, uh, TJ154 on Twitter simply said, this is fucking Gary Newman. Well, there you go. So that's it for this episode of Electric Friends. I'll be back next time with another Newman track and a mid-80s single that was the first one I ever found on vinyl. So please get in touch over email, newmanpodcast at gmail.com or find me on socials at newmanpodcast on Facebook, X, Instagram and TikTok. Please spread the word and give the podcast a rating and review when you can. I do read them all and it means a huge amount. And so for more, head to newmanpodcast.com. And for now, take care and see you soon. Electric Friends, a Gary Newman podcast celebrating the tracks by a musical pioneer. Pioneer.